hello, and thank you for joining the Dr. Whisperer podcast. I am your host, Sharon Feckety. I am the Dr. Whisperer, and I am so happy that you chose this podcast to listen to when there are so many choices out there. If you are enjoying the podcast, please consider writing a review or typing one, shall I say, and sharing it with somebody who might benefit or enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. Hello. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Sharon Feckety. And along with me today, we have a wonderful therapist, and her name is Bryn Sisipio, a real good Irish name, I assume. <laughs> so, Bryn, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here with you today. I'm excited to have you. So I am going to read a touch of your bio because I want the audience to know that we have someone here that is the smarty pants. She has diplomas and degrees from, you know, very high places. Okay. That's important, but you're never going to look it up. So just know she's qualified. Um, I love the fact that you were raised by a Philly police officer from a New Yorker. Uh I understand that reference. And a registered nurse. So lots of care, lots of taking care of the community. So you were really born into a family that had a passion to help others, correct? Yeah, definitely a family of public service, I would say for sure. Okay. So I'm interested. I mean, you have a long history of, you know, Montgomery County drug treatment court program. Um, I love that you said in your bio, the drug treatment court saved many lives every day taking people out of jail and placing them into treatment. I remember when I was in court and my lawyer, Stuart Sirota was sitting next to me and I put my hand on something. And I said, I would go to 12 step recovery meetings every day going forward. And um, that did not happen, but (laughs) yet, but it did save me. Um, Didn't save my parents a lot of money with Stuart Sirota as the attorney, but it did, um, It was good to know that there were people out there that cared enough to know that I had a problem. So I'm going to let you do um, some of the talking now, Bryn. I'd like to sit back and learn a little bit about you and your why as to why you got into this work. So even before I began working in the drug court program in Montgomery County, my undergraduate degree is actually in criminal justice. Mm. And I worked as a parole officer, which was very exciting. And it was, um, it was fun in the aspect of I had a lot of great peer relationships at work. It was very interesting to me to always see the dynamics of the court system between Mm -hmm. public defender, defense attorney, judge, uh, parole officer, to see how all those systems sometimes work really well together to support an individual. And unfortunately, sometimes there's a lot of cracks or a lot of different and opposing goals that people have. That was a big reason into me going back to school, into graduate school to get my degree as a therapist, that there was things that I was doing that that were effective, right? So as a parole officer with the particular unit I'm on, um, you, you were enforcing rules. You were making sure people were following the rules right? That's great. Not helpful. We can make sure people follow rules. And if they don't have the tools that they need to follow the rules, we are setting them up for failure. 
So I very clearly remember sitting at my office one day thinking to myself, there has to be something more. I have to be able to do something different here. And luckily in our area, there's 8 million graduate programs. So I just sat down and started scrolling through all of the different programs, came across uh, the program at LaSalle that I ultimately went to and graduated from, you know, worked full-time as a parole officer, went back to school in the evenings, did that for what felt like forever, and then (laughs) eventually graduated and made that transition into working as a therapist and then got connected with the drug court. But really felt like I, when I, especially when I worked within the drug court program, was really connecting to people and beyond their drug and alcohol use. It wasn't just what are your cravings? What are your triggers? What's your relapse prevention plan? Because people were mandated to treatment for such a long period of time through the drug court program, Mm -hmm. you really were able to do very in-depth work with them to understand what's the pain that's driving your addiction. Mm -hmm. Because you're not just doing this because you don't have a solid relapse prevention plan. Right. Because there's so much pain that has come before this moment that you haven't had a safe place to talk about it. You haven't had the right skills to process it. You haven't had um, so many other stressors of your life taken care of so you can actually look at this. You know, when you are someone who's really struggling with addiction, whose mental health is greatly being compromised, food and shelter can be a major challenge every single day. So when you can support people in getting those basic needs met, you can really create a safe space for them to be able to do the work, as I call it, that this is our, my little do the work mug here. I have it circled in your bio. I love the work because that's what it is. It's work. It's hard. It's not easy. It takes a lot out of you. It's a lot of work. Um, Definitely a a term that I want to dive into a little bit because I don't think there's any way out except through doing the work. And, you know, once you said relapse prevention program, I, it triggered my, um, I was in a, a rehab in beautiful um, upstate New York. And I remember they had a relapse prevention weekend program because it was my second time. So I fit that bill. I was, yeah, I was privy to go into that program and, um, and I don't remember anything except really a, a bitch blame fest, which is what I called it mm-hmm. then. And I call it now yeah. that I was just looking for somebody to blame yeah. for my addiction and all my issues. I did not think I needed to do any work because I really thought it was because of what happened to me, which really nothing at that time at 19 year old had happened to me. I mean, fast forward a few years later, there was a lot of trauma, but I think that it is so important that people realize how, you know, you said it in kind of a a roundabout way that, you know, nobody, nobody chooses to become a drug addict and an alcoholic and end up in court. And, you know, um, this little long Island girl, right. Didn't her parents sending me to private school, uh, certainly didn't think that I was going to be addicted to crack and homeless and um, blacking out and moving to Michigan, but that's what happens. Right. And if we don't have some type of intervention with people that understand the do the work, which I can't wait to talk about, then, you know, there's going to be a lot of flailing around. So um, let me ask you why I, I, the practice slogan, which I love that that's the slogan do the work was born out of the challenges people overcome in therapy. So can you just talk a little bit about what that looks like? 
So when people show up to therapy, I think initially when they finally make that decision, because I don't think it's everyone's first go-to response, right? Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of, let me try other things. Let me ride this out. Let me avoid it. Let me not admit it. Let me work 75 hours a week. There's a lot of other tactics people use to not have to do the work, for example. So by the time someone comes into therapy, they are in such a state of distress, usually 90, 95% of the time, right? And in that moment, they really want, just give me the answers. Give me something magical. I don't care if you got to do a voodoo spell, club me over the head, whatever it is, make this pain, make this insanity, make it stop and make it go away. And hurry up, please. Like yesterday. You should have had this by the time I walked in the door, right? Right. So what we, what we try to explain to people in a very clear and also very empathetic way is you are in a state of distress right now. You probably should have come here sooner, just like everybody else. And that's okay. Because when the pain finally got great enough, that's when you finally showed up, right? Yes. This doesn't happen overnight. The good thing is it may have taken you seven years to get here. It's not going to take you seven years to feel better and to feel where you need to mm-hmm. be. And it requires that you come in every week. It requires that you are honest. That's the most important piece. You are honest in here. We know it's hard to be honest in this room. And it's really important that when you leave this room, what happens in here, you take with you outside of here. So whether it's you do the homework that your therapist gives you, or you have your own journaling system that you're really processing. Or if we talked about in therapy, how to set a difficult boundary, you practice that outside of the therapy room. Mm -hmm. We half joke with all of our clients that come into the group that we're kind of trying to work ourselves out of a job, Mm -hmm. right? That we don't want to create a dependency in therapy, but we want you to be so successful that you can move forward in your life. And it doesn't mean conflict-free. It doesn't mean that life is perfect because that's not possible. It just means that you feel confident and you feel healthy and you feel that you can manage or handle whatever challenge comes your way. Because there are going to be challenges. I I am having a moment. So I love that because I really feel like um, therapy, just like, you know, so I coach doctors, okay? And I love coaching doctors, but I don't want to be with them for the rest of my life. I want to give them the tools of how to run a business. And then I want you to go away. I mean that in the most loving way possible, (laughs) but I have been, you know, it's amazing how sometimes when I say, all right, well, we started out at three times a month. Now we're, we're going to go to two Um, and then we're going to, and they're like in shock. They're like, what? You're letting me go. Yeah, I'm no, I'm yeah, like you're getting better. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and I could actually just keep billing you. Right. Which in my opinion is just another way of saying I could keep you sick. I know how to do that. Right, right. And really a form of malpractice, we could say, right? <laughs> Highly unethical. Highly unethical. But boy oh boy, uh Bryn, do I see this a lot. So I wanna I don't know. You know, so everybody just, just bear with me for a moment, but I know a lot of people that have been with the same therapist for 15 to 20 years. And I don't see that person getting well. 
Now I'm not a therapist. I'm not, I don't know anything about how to do that. And I think it's always great if you stay in therapy. I went back to therapy in the beginning of the pandemic. Perfect. Yeah. Because, you know, I knew there was a shit show happening and I wanted to be prepared. (laughs) (laughs) I've done a lot of work on myself, but I've never actually been in a pandemic. Right. (laughs) So um, I think that it's, it's shocking to me kind of, right? Like that sometimes I love the fact that you actually are going to work with somebody and give them homework and tools so they can get better. So there's some kind of accountability. Right. I mean, I am not the decision maker in your life, right? Mm -hmm. So what we're not going to do is foster a dependency where either coming into therapy or by you working with myself or any of my therapists is the only place where you can make decisions where uh, couples sometimes will see this. This is a major red flag for therapy where couples will come into therapy and one partner will express something and the other partner will say, that happened two weeks ago. You've been holding this in for two weeks. You've been saving it for here. So, and there's a lot of reasons that go into that. Sometimes there's a sense of safety. Sometimes it's avoidance. Why aren't we doing that? So it's always an opportunity to revamp and look at it. But yeah, we really want people to live their lives. We want them to feel, like I said, confident, to feel good about themselves, to feel that the relationships that they have in their life are absolutely healthy and that Mm -hmm. they can establish healthy relationships. Now, some people, they come in and they're with us for four to six months. And that was all that they needed, right? Mm -hmm. We definitely have other people that have been in the practice for a longer period of time, you know, three Mm -hmm. plus years. And what it's really important to us and what we do with our longer term clients is every so often, not every session, because that wouldn't be needed, but maybe, you know, every several months is really review where were when you came in, mm-hmm. what's the work that you've done, you're here now, what else do we want to do? Right. That we're always aligned with the goals that the clients have, what they want for themselves. We, you know, we always hold people to a very... I don't want to say we hold them to a high standard. We always have the highest goals set for our clients, but for some people moving up just two notches is exactly where they want to be. And Mm -hmm. that's where they feel comfortable. That's okay. But it's really important that we check in with them on that to make sure that we're not, you know, misaligned there. Sure. And, you know, um, I, I'm very happy that I, I myself personally have been in therapy through this pandemic and, you know, hopefully I will stay for a while and go once a month. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's, it's a healthy check-in, you yes. know, um, but the dependency thing becomes a real um, quagmire, shall we say. Yes. So I don't know where that word came from, but, you know, pulled <laughs> right out of the air. So I'm, I'm excited about this Devin's closet too, that you have. Um, it's a clothing drive for women in recovery. Um, because of this woman that you lost to addiction. And so tell the audience a little bit about, um, about Devin. Hey, quick interruption on this amazing podcast, but we have to tell you about our awesome sponsor, Thai Technology. They are so cool and they're here in Tampa Bay, if you're a Tampa Bay listener. Thai Technology is the best voice over IP business phone service company out there. How do I know this? I used to work in telecom before I worked with doctors. That's right. So I know me a good phone system when I see it. Plus, they are integrated with Zoom. 
They are the only ones that are integrated with Zoom. And if you mention this podcast or you mention the Facebook show, they're going to hook you up with three months for free. Follow them on Facebook and on Instagram. Thai Technology Rocks. We, it is so fascinating how this entire thing came about. I had an intern that worked for me in 2019, in the summer of 2019, as a marketing intern. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't hire clinical interns because of, I can't supervise and all this other stuff, but I I do hire uh, marketing interns to support the practice. So I had hired, her name is Michaela. Mm -hmm. So I had hired Michaela as a marketing intern. And I found out after I hired Michaela that I had known um, some of her extended family members through various means. So it was also, so it kind of like began as like a very comfortable relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, Michaela and I sat down one day and I said, I, I want to do something for the community, that the community where my practice is specifically located has some measure of privilege to it being on the main line in the Philadelphia suburbs. There's a lot of people that have a lot of means here. And there's so many people that are in pain right in the immediate area as well. Think about it. Let me know what you come up with. She comes back to me and she says, what about a clothing drive for women in recovery? I said, perfect. She said, I have a, my good childhood friend died one year ago. Her Mm -hmm. name was Devin. I think Devin was 23, 22, I think when she died. So very young. Um, she said, I've already talked with her parents. They're in total support. They would love nothing more. And so we kicked off Devin's closet. Mm, so, um, it's been oh, an absolutely wonderful event. We host it every fall. We pick different recovery houses, people in the community bring, we pick a central location one Saturday, we collect donations up to that point, And then we meet at the central location to receive additional donations Michaela and myself, and sometimes one other person will go through every single item that is brought to us to make sure that we are donating clothes that really support dignity and that really support self-esteem. So if things are in poor condition, we give them somewhere else. Sometimes we even throw them away if they're really bad, Uh, but we really, we separate everything, tops, small, medium, large, bottom, small, medium, large, bathing suit, you know, whatever we got. And then we drive it, we drive it right down there that day to the recovery house. And it's been a really wonderful experience. And we've been so fortunate to have Devin's parents and siblings show up and support us as well. And they've actually donated some of Devin's clothes. And ironically, the first year we did it, the woman who was in charge of the recovery house that we donated to had later in the day, texted me a couple pictures of the women that were going through and picking out what they liked and what they, you know, things like that. And I had shared them with Michaela. Michaela shared them with Devin's parents and Devin's mom said that in one of the pictures was one of Devin's pants, that it was a very specific print. So it was just a very, I get, we just got goosebumps sharing that. Uh Well, yeah, I mean, it is so important to carry on the legacy of, of people, loved ones that we've lost through addiction. You know, um, I think there's a, a horrific stigma surrounding um people that lose to suicide to addiction to overdose um to alcoholism it's not the same as when you lose somebody to a car accident or cancer you know there's a very um people don't know what to say right people don't know what to say they don't know how to address it they um it falls into that category of what we would call disenfranchised grief 
where mm. you don't know what to do and people feel like they can't support you and they feel like they're unsure of what to say. And also that the individuals who are experiencing the loss feel like they can't talk openly about it because mm. there's this stigma or shame or some limiting factor that they feel is at play. So I really, you know, I, part of me is like, it's 2022. Are we really still holding these very outdated and inaccurate beliefs about individuals who struggle with, you know, drug and alcohol disease, but I'm hoping it's changing. It's changing slowly, slowly, very, very slowly. Yeah. It's, it's definitely better, right? It's better. We're having this conversation right now. So it's better. Um, I want to talk about doing the work with you, uh, Bren, because I think it's a powerful statement. It's, it's always been, um, powerful to me. I want to share, um, in alignment with this, this wonderful slogan that you have in your practice that I was sober five years, um, and I did not do any of the work. So I purposely in, if I'm in a recovery setting, if I'm speaking to corporate about mental health in the workplace, I'm always sure to share what I'm about to share now. And that is that for five years as a sober woman, and I have uh, my bunny ears up in case somebody's listening um, to the podcast and not watching, I didn't do any of the work. If somebody asked me if I had done the steps of, cause I belong to 12 step recovery. I don't care how anybody gets sober. I just want you to get sober. Yeah. I don't care how, right. I don't care how you do it. Stand on your head. I don't care. But for me, I came in such a traumatized, um, addict, um, really, really just kind of really beaten up and bruised and, and somebody loved me enough. I'll get to the point of the story. Somebody loved me enough in my fifth year of sobriety to come up to me. And I wrote about this in the book and said, you know, have you ever thought about coming to one of these big book studies? Right. And so um, my 12 step recovery program has a, a book and we study it and you do the work out of this book and there's instructions and it's been in existence for over 80 years. Hence why there's a program that has lasted this long. It's certainly not because of what I made up as I was going along, but to get to the point and to, for you to um, continue this conversation about doing the work, it wasn't until I would say between five and 10 years that I started to actually see a real change in me. And going back to that young girl that loved to um, work out, who loved playing sports, who, you know, wasn't a big fat liar, who didn't, you know, because I, I still was lying and cheating and just completely inappropriate as somebody who didn't drink anymore because I hadn't done any of the work. So tell me a little bit about how that slogan has manifested within your practice and to your clients. So we, I think it's always been something, it's certainly a phrase that with the therapists I know, whether they're in my practice or they work in other therapists or work in other practices, the, um, you know, therapists that I hold in high regard that, that we all talk about doing the work, mm-hmm. right? You have to do the work, you have to show up, you have to do the work. And so I really started looking at what does that exactly mean? And what are we requiring of people? And also as therapists, how are we supporting people in doing the work? Because mm-hmm. it's not just show up and let me listen to you. That's not doing the work. That's called venting to your best friend. And you can do that for free. Right. Right. So if we're doing the work, really what's happening on both sides of that room, am I 
challenging my client with very specific questions as to all sides of the story, right? If they present conflict A to me, I'm going to ask them about all the pieces of that puzzle because I want them to be intentional in their behavior. I want them to understand maybe there's something here that's influencing my behavior that I'm not exactly clear about. And mm-hmm. so we want to explore that and really be clear with that. And then on the client side, really supporting them in, like I said, being honest and bringing that in. And just as important when they're outside of the office setting, having a plan, knowing what they're looking at, what are they going to review? Clients will say to me, is it okay if I take notes in session? Please right. note in session because mm-hmm. we're going to talk here for 50 minutes and it's going to be emotionally draining. You may feel physically taxed when you leave here. And you may not remember anything we talked about Truth. because it was kind of like, oh my gosh, that was really hard. And that was really challenging. And all this emotion came out and I don't really know what went on. I just feel so overwhelmed right now. So please take notes while you're in therapy and then do something with those notes while you're outside of the room. So regardless of whether we're working with a five-year-old in play family therapy, utilizing Santry, we're supporting parents, we're supporting people with anxiety, we're supporting couples in affair recovery, all of that comes into our group. You're doing the work. Every single one of you, every single one of you that shows up, that's the standard that we are going to hold. And that's the space that we're going to offer you. And that's what we really want for you. And Mm. we're going to let you know, it's going to be hard. It's going to be uncomfortable. We can take it as slow as you want. I've certainly had clients that say to me, I'm feeling overwhelmed right now. Okay, so let's close. What's happening? Let's figure this out, right? Yeah. So I'm thinking about um, collaborations with other practitioners. Um, I, I mentioned that I do work with physicians and as I'm doing this interview, I hope that you're gonna say yes, that I'd like to also put the show on, my other platform, the doctor whisperer, because like everybody should be in therapy. Can I just make a blanket statement? (laughs) At least once, (laughs) at least once. Right. Literally like if I could check myself back into a rehab and speak about myself for 30 days, I'd be happy as hell. Um, it is so effective to just like you mentioned before, not just have a venting session, but to be able to get all of your stuff out, right? but to be able to have somebody understand what your patterns are. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, because you and I both know this pandemic has, has just turned everything upside down. And most people just, if they're feeling anxiety, if they're f- having problems in their marriage, like everything has come to the surface, <laughs> right? In this um, lockdown that is hopefully not so locked down anymore, that they're going to their primary care and there's a prescription being written. Yep. And there's really not a lot of, you know what? I really think that you would benefit from going to BCA therapy. Right. And having a discussion on top of you taking care of your physical health. So do you have collaborations? Do you have um, people within your network that you work with, whether it be psychiatrist or psychologist, whatever it is? Yeah, we certainly have positive working relationships with, uh, we have 
psychiatrist, we have a wonderful nurse practitioner who I mm. absolutely love and adore, who um, has prescriptive authority in Pennsylvania, which is wonderful. And she's a long history of working in substance abuse and mental health and patients. She work in your practice? She does not work in my practice, Ooh. but she certainly are like one major, day major referral source. She's and she's right. five minutes from where we are. She's absolutely mm. wonderful. And we also have very strong collaborations with primary care physicians, as well as a lot of school counselors. Hmm. A lot of school counselors for our teen, um, sometimes young adult college population and also middle school population certainly are very um, supportive in connecting with us and reaching out to us as well. And unfortunately, a lot of those individuals that work in schools are also drowning in the amount of uh, you know support that's needed that they are really struggling to provide for their students because there's so many students in need. And there's, sometimes it's not even a lack of resources. It's just not enough resources for all of the kids that are coming in right now. You know, oh my goodness. it was okay, mm -hmm. but now it's really ramped up incredibly. Oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, yeah. I, I know how um, all of the practitioners that I work with that are in the mental health field are, are stretched so thin, Yeah, which is not good. Um, at the same token, good that people are going and reaching out and getting help. Um, but there's certainly a need for, for more. Um, are you offering teletherapy in your practice? Yes. Yeah, so we offer both in-person and telehealth sessions at this right. time. Yeah. So we're able to do a combination of both and with between all the therapists and the practice, we offer daytime evening and also weekend sessions. Oh, nice. Wonderful. So we really try to support and cover, you know, as much need as we can. Are you licensed in the state of Florida? No, we're all licensed <laughs> in Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, um, I think it's so wonderful to be um, a mother of three, a stepmother to one, yes. um, experience the tragic death of your father. I'm so sorry that your father passed away um, while you were pregnant, because that is, um, you know, everybody that is a healer also goes through their own journey of yeah. trauma and tragedy. And I'm sure, well, I'm not sure, but I'm going to assume that you also get your own help to make sure that the healer is being healed herself. Yeah, for sure. Every, I mean, everyone has a story, regardless of what your occupation is, you know, and I think sometimes for people who have never had the experience in therapy, sometimes they look at the world and see certain people that maybe have certain things or live a certain lifestyle and they say, oh, must, must be nice, mm -hmm. must be nice to be them. And really everyone has their own pain. Sometimes their pain is from long ago. Sometimes their pain is happening right here and now in the present. So yeah. Uh, no, um, we all have a story. Certainly, we all, we all have, a have a story. Yes, indeed. So, um, it's never too late. I know that you want my listeners and my viewers to know that it's never too late to know that hope and healing is always an option. Always. And it's never too late to do the work, but you must do the work, people. Yeah, you have to. That's really, you know, it reminds me. I don't know if it's a country song or if it's an old song, but it talks about if, if you're going through hell, keep on moving. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what the song is, but it sounds like a country song. <laughs> keep on trucking. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But it is a wonderful song and it really does speak to doing the work and moving forward. And really that is the only way because avoidance just creates bigger problems. Avoidance. You hear that everybody? 
You cannot avoid the inevitable. All of the, I call them little baby traumas. Yes. So all those little baby traumas pile up and then you're frozen and you don't know what to do. It's best to tackle your baby traumas so you can live uh, happy, joyous, and free. Well, Brent, thank you so much for joining the show today. I look forward to um, telling everybody in Pennsylvania how wonderful we have a great group um, to refer to. And I'm always grateful for that. So thank you for being here today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yay. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to leave a review or share it with somebody you know and care about that would benefit from listening. But more importantly, if you are thinking about advertising your business in the year 2021, sponsoring a podcast is major. 44% of people pay more attention to advertising on podcasts than any other media. And 37% agree that advertising on a podcast is actually the best way to reach them. 70% have considered a new product or service after hearing an ad on a podcast. And I'm one of those people. And this is all according to Edison Research. Don't believe me, believe the research. So if you're interested in sponsoring, give us a shout.